What's happening, rock and rollers? This is your good buddy, Steve Brown, and you're listening to my pal, Joe Sibilia, on the Rock and Roll Coffee Show podcast. Turn it up and drink some coffee. Welcome to episode number 48 of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. I am your host, Joe Sibilia. And tonight, my guest is Jonathan McHugh. Jonathan is a film director, producer, music supervisor, former label and film exec. He's done it all in the film and music industry. And now he has a new documentary film out called Long Live Rock, Celebrate the Chaos. This film is a great look at the culture of the hard rock genre, through the fans, and also features many interviews with members of Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Slipknot, Korn, Avenged Sevenfold. I mean, you name it, they're in this film. The movie will be premiering on March 11th at, I believe, 8 p.m. Eastern, and you can get your ticket by going to longliverockmovie.com. Tickets are only $9.99, and not only will you get to see the film, but after the film, there's going to be great conversations with the filmmakers and the special guest rock stars. So you don't want to miss this. Go ahead and get your ticket now. $9.99, longliverockmovie.com. Hope you enjoy this conversation. If you're liking the show, please follow us on Instagram, at R&R Coffee Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. That way you stay up to date on all our great guests. While you're over there, just please leave a comment. Let us know how we're doing. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Jonathan. Thanks for listening. Hey, Jonathan. Yeah. What's up, buddy? It's Joe with the Rock and Roll Coffee Show. Joe, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. Are you good? You good to chat? Oh, yes, my friend. I am. Just let me uh, put in my other headphone. Sounds like you're having and... a party. No, it's talking heads. I was just trying to stay pumped <laughs> up and keep working. I got to edit uh, this Q&A for the premiere on Thursday. They like 65 minutes, like too long. Oh, geez. Got to come down. Ugh. That's got to be a nightmare. So let me turn this down. Uh, um, so where are you today, Joe? I'm out in South Carolina, Myrtle Beach. Oh, that's a beautiful spot. Yeah, you've been yeah. out there a long time. No, actually, I've been out here. Well, I guess about seven years. I'd say I came. Mm-hmm. I came um, most of my life down in Florida, in the Tampa area. Then I was out in California, where you are, right? You're out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in Santa Monica. Okay, I was out in Bakersfield for about five years, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, you know, job brought me over this way. So now I'm out here. And how'd you get involved in doing this podcast? You know what? I've always loved music. So back in 2000, I had a uh, music website for mainly local bands, but then it grew into a national thing. And I started like an, a streaming radio type program, kind of like a podcast, but it wasn't a podcast back then. And then just about a year ago, I just decided to do it again. Just... Mm-hmm. You know, just fun. I, I find it very interesting to talk to people and, you know, hear about their journey on their in their career and 
you know, it's just something fun to do. Sure. And your your focus seems like looking at your stuff. It's a lot of rock guys, right? Yeah, I mean that's my main, uh, you know, what I know. So of course mm-hmm. that's my first go to. But sure. I, I've got a lot of guests coming up, you know, in the film industry, and uh, you know, trying to branch out into different areas. Got it. Yeah, but you've been uh, you've been in the industry a long time, also, correct? Oh my god, yeah. I'm like I started in 1984 was my first official job. I'm like an OG by now. Oh, 84. Uh, I don't know how old yeah. you are, but um, that would make me almost 60. Okay, well, I'm about 50, so okay. But uh, yeah, go ahead. So yeah, I've been at this a long time. Is the bottom line in many different incarnations. And this is actually the first film I've directed. So it kind of all leads up to this in a way, you know, putting all the pieces together. Yeah, yeah. So this film, Long Live Rock, uh, Celebrate the Chaos, it's, what is it basically about the culture of the hard rock genre? Yes, exactly. It's about the, um, it's about the uh, fandom um, of, the, uh, of this impassioned uh, uh, peoples that, you know, populate these festivals, uh, these hard rock festivals like Carolina Rebellion and, you know, um, those kind of louder than life and aftershock and, um, sonic temple, you know, it's about the people that commune, um, to these festivals. We followed like five or six different fans throughout the course of a couple of years. Oh, wow. Um, and, and all along the way, we interviewed everybody from Lars to Duff to Tom Morello to Rob Zombie to Papa Roach to, yeah, you, you know, have a hailstorm. ton of people it's, in fucking, this. it's a potpourri. Uh, did they all cooperate with you on it or was it a struggle oh, yeah. for something? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, my partner in the film, the producer, Gary Spivak, is one of the top festival promoters in the country. He does okay. all those big festivals that we just name checked. So he was able to just set us up with a trailer backstage and we just knocked out, you know, eight interviews a day, um, you know, at four different festivals. So wow. we got a lot out of it. Wow. How long have you been working on it? Um, since 2017, basically, we shot our first film in 2017. Wow. It, was there a reason that it took a few years to make, or is it just how it normally is with documentaries? Documentaries take years to make. Yeah. Really? Um, yeah, because it's not like you're making full-time money on it. So it's not like you're just pounding it out. It's like yeah. you shoot, you edit, you got another shoot, you shoot, you edit, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. it, things just take a lot of time. And uh, then you had the pandemic, which, you know, slowed the process down quite a bit. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah. So are you taping this now? Are we rolling now? We're rolling right from the top. Okay, we're rolling. Okay. Do you no <laughs> intro or anything? We don't do an intro? <laughs> no, we, we, I, I'll do the intro afterwards. But yeah, we're okay, good. You, we're, pick up, you do pick up. You yeah, pick yeah, up. yeah. Okay, cool. All right, cool. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, just hit me with questions and I'll fire back at you. Well, I mean, first, how, how did you get started in the industry? Um, like I said, that's a long 30 year plus story, but, you know, I started doing, um, college radio into radio syndicated programming into the film business. I worked for the legendary producer, Dino De Laurentiis, uh, 1987, Moved from there to AM Records in 88, did local promotion in New York. 90, moved back out here to LA and worked at a lecture with bands like Metallica, The Cure, and Motley Crue, which is where I met my producing partner, Gary Spivak. We worked on Metallica's campaign to take the song Enter Sandman to Top 40 Radio, which was a struggle at the time. Really? Um, it was a struggle? 
Yeah, Top 40 Radio did not. There was a stigma behind Metallica that they couldn't play, you know? I don't remember um, that. Okay. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a great experience. And then, you know, cut to 20 years later, Gary's now booking these big festivals. And I pitch him on the idea of making a movie about the fandom of these intense people who flock to these festivals. And he's like, hey, I just booked Metallic for our 10th anniversary festival, a thing called Rock on the Range. And I said, all right, well, what do you want to do? He said, let's just do it. So I uh, called my cinematographer, who I was doing another movie with, co-directing another movie with about the cosplay culture um, called Cosplay Universe, which will be out this summer. Mm -hmm. And he's like, who's playing? I said, Metallica and Gojira. He's like, I'm good. That's it. I'm good. I love those bands. I'm in. <laughs> so be there. He he jumped on for free. I bought his plane ticket. Gary was able to pick up hotels and food and you know get us interviews. And we just went and started shooting. And we shot a sizzle reel. And the people that were doing my movie in England had asked me what else I was working on. I said, Well, I'm working on this other subculture film about the hard rock culture. And like, oh, I'm interested in that. So we cut a sizzle reel, sent it to them, and they're like, Okay, we'll give you X amount of dollars to go do it nice. so that and we raised private equity monster came in to help us because we used some monster footage uh in there also and we went and made a you know a homespun documentary um without spending crazy amounts of money but then at the end you know we had 15 tracks of some of the biggest rock stars in the world that we needed to clear so during the pandemic we raised another 50 grand um to pay for those you know songs mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's one step at a time, my friend, just keep pounding. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be a little easier knowing what you know, going into making something like that. Yeah, it definitely helps. And, you know, you make mistakes along the way. Um, but you know, it was a great experience and, you know, tough experience. We had, you know, bankruptcy, the, the company that in England I was telling you about went bankrupt mm -hmm. and, um, not giving us the rest of the funds. So we had to raise our own funds, but the good news, we got the movie back. So they were able to finish it and not get locked up in, in purgatory, which happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where did you get the idea to do this documentary? Was there one thing that you can remember that you saw or something that happened that said, you know what, this might be a good idea. Um, I mean, Gary had been inviting me to festivals for years to come out to the Midwest and check them out. And then when he booked Metallica, I was like, damn, I want to go to that. And I'm like, if I'm going that, we might as well look at our idea that we had talked about a year before. And so I was always fascinated by, you know, he would send me the videos and watching the amount of people crowd surf. Like yeah. there's a, there's a thing in the movie where the head of security goes, you know, he says, um, you know, I counted the bodies in one song during Five Finger Death Punch because um, the lead singer was like, come on up here. I want to shake your hand. And 250 people crowd surf from the, you know, back to the front to get up to try to shake his hand. So that kind of footage is incredible when you see that kind of stuff. Yeah. And crowd surfing as a whole is incredible. Then when you get to moshing and demystifying the process of what people think is this ugly, uh, tribalistic you know, beat down of each other when it's really, it's part, I guess it's part of that, but it's also about getting your rocks off and getting your angst, angst out, I should say, not your rocks off, getting yeah. your angst out. Um, and it's therapeutic for people, you know what I mean? To bounce around and bounce off people like, um, especially people like who used to play football or whatever, can't do that anymore. <laughs> right. um, so contact sports, I mean, think about it. It's like a contact sport 
at a rock and roll context, a, a rock and roll show. That's yeah. kind of what moshing is in a way. And that's like for people who like contact sports and likes rock and roll, well, then you, you're in the mosh pit, bro. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting in that respect that, that, you know, it's, it's, some, it's all these different things all rolled into one. And, but for us, it just started with the fan and obviously the rock stars are the fuel that makes it all go. And so they had to be interviewed in the film. And, you know, that's how you also sell a movie by having rock stars. Right. But oh, yeah. the story is, the story is fan related. Um, and that's really what it comes down to just following this group called the party crew who I'll meet up all from all over the Midwest, from West Virginia, from Kentucky, from Ohio. They just all come together and commune at these festivals. And uh, hanging with those people was just an amazing experience. How did you find them? Gary also had, you know, they'd be, they'd always email him because he was a festival producer and they'd send him a T-shirt because they would all pick up a T-shirt every year um, for their crew. So they could always find each other at the festivals. Um, so he found them and I went and interviewed them. And then through them, I met a couple other fans that were crazy like the you know the wheelchair crowd surfing girl with one leg Abby. yeah yeah i saw that in the trailer oh yeah she's great and then uh jess who's one of the crew and she just loved the crowd surf but she also loves you know fishing that's her other release from her trauma nurse gig uh-huh. um and you know like the release that people they use this music as a release and that's sure. kind of cool sure and then g g who's the guy who started the whole thing he had a great quote he's like yeah, I met, I met this woman and uh, she said she likes rock. And I said, I like rock. And she said, he said, uh, yeah, she's like, as a matter of fact, you know, I listen to the Black Album every night before I go to sleep. And his quote is, I got to marry this woman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's that's it right there. Like, yeah. music is that bonding thing. Like, I play tennis, right? Whenever I meet a tennis player, it's like, you know, we talk tennis, right? And, you know, you meet, see someone with a Metallica t-shirt, you're like, oh, what's your favorite album? Or like, you ever see them? And, yeah, yeah, it's all da, 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 da. right. It's music is that immediate bonding thing. Oh, yeah. And this and this format, because it's a outlier in the sense that it's never made it to, I mean, not never, but it's not a mainstream format because of all the things we talked about. It's loud guitars, it's screamo vocals, it's piercing, it's tattoos, it's all these off-putting things. It's more like a club. You know, it's like a, it's like a tight knit community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that fascinating and that's, it's very tribal in the sense that people come together over this format of music, this genre of music and hip hop pop. They don't really have that. It's kind of transitory. It's like one hit at a time next, you know, mm-hmm. this is not, these guys have, these guys and girls have 15, 20 years on the road, whatever, some of them. And they still do it because they love it and the fans keep coming back and it's kind of this beautiful little symbiotic uh, situation, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you get out there and do the crowd surfing? Did not do that, my friend. I'm over 50. You know what I'm saying? It's not a good <laughs> you didn't look. didn't want to go for it? Not a good look. <laughs> no stage diving or anything? No. I stood at the edge of the mosh pit while my camera guy put on a GoPro and went in and held his camera for him and shot a little bit. That was the closest I got. How do you do in the mosh pit? He did good. He got some great footage. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry that you, I did not put you in with my publicist because we would have sent you the movie. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we just, I didn't get that together. Like, I don't know what happened. I, um, I just didn't get it done. So no worries. I'm um, looking forward to checking it out though. But yeah, yeah. but I, I was checking out the trailers, you know, and, and trying to, you know, see as much as I could of it. And it looks pretty, uh, pretty amazing. 
Oh, it's it really works. I mean, it took you know you asked that question. Why does it take so long? Mm-hmm. I mean, the painstaking process of having all the footage, but being able to put it together in a cohesive package is painstaking. Is is the yeah, answer? I'm sure. Has it been completed for a little bit? Uh, yes, I would say for six months or so it's been completed. Okay. Um, would, would, um, what were you going to hold on to it for like a theater release or before the pandemic? Well, okay, that was the, de- that was the debate. Um, uh, because we really wanted it cause I've seen it play in theaters and how well it plays, you know, with the right crowd. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and it's frustrating. I got to tell you not to have that, but also look, this is one year this week of the lockdown, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like us putting it out there is kind of like the gift to the fans to say, yeah, we know you can't rock, but you know what? This will hopefully tide you over. So we made that conscious decision to like, didn't want to sit on it anymore, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, look, you think about some of the great metal movies, right? Like Heavy Little Parking Lot. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, which is basically just a guy in a parking lot at a Judas pre-show. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then you have a little more sophisticated thing with Penelope Spears decline of Western civilization too, which is really, really a well done piece of work. But these things are like 25, 30 years old and people still talk about them. Yeah. Okay. So think about that, that barrier of entry. If you can basically make something that's solid, then what happens to your film? You know, how proud would I be if 20 years from now, people still want to watch my movie. Right. Um, so who knows? You just don't know until you do it. But um, it's something that, you know, you strive for as a filmmaker to make something that stands the test of time and kicks ass and people like it. And, you know, not everybody can like it. We didn't make it for the industry. We made it for the fans who have less discerning taste than the industry. And, you know, they take things at face value where the industry likes to hate because that's what they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's really for the fans, man. It's made, you know, I grew up... I mean, I was lucky enough as a kid to be, you know, an hour from Madison Square Garden, and I got to see Metal. I'm sorry, I got to see Led Zeppelin. I got to see Kiss. I got nice. to see Black Sabbath. At I the got garden. to see Aerosmith. Yeah, all at the Garden or in the Nassau Coliseum too. Yeah. Um, so I got to see these things as a kid. And those, are, you know, there was only one kind of music then, and that was rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Right. There was nothing mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. There was the disco people. And then there was the rock and roll people. Right. And that was, you know, you, you were either in one camp or the other. Um, so, you know, that was always ingrained in me. And then cut to the 90s when I work at Electra and I find Metallica and I work with Metallica and how great they are. And I don't know if you remember that show when they did that show when, after the Inner Sandman record, after the Black Album, they did a show which has a name to which I can't remember where they basically built a pit into the stage yes i do remember that do you remember that mm-hmm. it's called mm-hmm. the snake it's called the snake mm-hmm. pit. yeah and i had one show in there that the manager put me in one night was with some radio programmers and it was just fucking <laughs> life-changing you know what i mean yeah to be in it in it like that so anyway so and then also my friends married to tom morello so she knew i loved rage and she would always say she would call me like four o'clock hey we're doing a warm-up show at the roxy tonight at eight just be at the back door and ask for Joe, you know, like right, something right, like that. Right. And I would go to these fucking shows, El Rey Theater, Roxy. And it was like to see Rage Against the Machine in a small place like that. Fuck. Yeah. The, ener- the energy is just ridiculous. And so there's that's very hard to come by, you know. So that power and that energy of Rage and Metallica and Zeppelin back in the day. 
and the spectacle of Kiss, you know, mm-hmm. um, I kind of grew out of that one. You know what I mean? That was really like a 14 year old thing, but, um, but I appreciated what they've done. And it's one of the greatest marketing jobs of all time. What, yeah. they, what those guys have done still is. to be they able still to do still stuff. do it. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing, but so anyway, so yeah, like I said, it's, uh, it's something that just kind of happened. And you just went with it and rode the lightning, so to speak. And now here we are. We got like a major, major film release. Yeah, yeah. So when you were a kid, you were a rock fan, you you were saying. What were your main oh, bands yeah. back then? Well, Zeppelin's still my favorite band of all time. Okay. Um, but uh, as a kid, you know, it was Aerosmith and, and, and Zeppelin and Kiss when I was 14. And then... Um, you know, obviously Black Sabbath was a big one, you know, big stoner band. We used to black light in the basement and fucking yeah. smoke. We'd listen to Black Sabbath and Zeppelin and, you know, the who was on my wall and it was all that stuff, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so you never lose that as no. a kid. When, um, now being in the industry, did you have a uh, family in the industry before you got in there? Like were your parents involved? No or? uncles in the business, bro. No yeah. uncles in the business. I had to bootstrap that shit myself. The way my path in was I got to uh, New Orleans and didn't know anybody. Went to Tulane University, went to a party, met a guy, worked at the radio station. He invited me to come to – do you remember the band Squeeze? I don't. A band from England called Squeeze. They were doing an interview. Jules Holland, who had a big show on the BBC for years. He was doing an interview with Squeeze. I love this band. He let me sit in on an interview. He let me ask a question. That night I went to the, and I asked a question about a particular song. That night I went to a show with him and they came out for the encore and I looked at Jules Holland and I said, up the junction. (laughs) And he looked at me, gave me a thumbs up and started playing the song. And I was like, this is power. You know, whether it was planned or not, that he was going to play it. It was a good sized song of there, so you probably was going to play it anyway. But that moment, like, said to me, dude, I'm in. Like, whatever this is, I'm in. Yeah. And then I just had to figure out how to make a living at it. And then I became the promotion director of the radio station. I controlled all the tickets in town. That was an amazing blessing. And then I was like, I met some promotion reps from from record labels. And I was like, wait, you got this is a job? You guys promote <laughs> college radio stations? He's like, yeah. And so I was like, oh, my God. So then I got out of school. And I went to a conference called the CMJ conference in New York, which mm-hmm. was a, I remember that. Uh, it was a classic. And um, the same guy who got me, Dave, got me into the radio station, got me into this conference because he worked there. And while I was there, I hustled up an internship with the BBC. They had an uh, office in New York. And I got a job doing BBC radio syndication. And that was basically calling up radio stations to get them to play their shows. And they had a show called the BBC Rock Hour, which is a live concert show. And that's how I started in the business. And then I did that. And then I took a left turn, got a job in the film business, came to L.A., got a job in the record business back at A&M Records, and then back to Electra Records and just kind of kept moving and going from there. And so, then I started a soundtrack division at A&M Records. I went back to A&M Records, started a soundtrack division. Um, and then I started music supervising films. And it, then from there... So I, mu- music supervising. Now, what goes into music supervising? Tell me about a music supervisor. Well, you know, that's the concept of basically you're the guy or gal who basically is responsible for finding all the music, clearing all the music, getting setting up the director, producer with the music they need for the show, TV show, movie, video game, whatever. So there's a whole we have a, um, a guild that we started about 10, 11 years ago 
and we have 500 members across the world now. Um, and so we kind of um, try to make sure the standards are upheld of what you should be as a music supervisor. Uh, it's like any sort of guild, yeah, or, yeah. you know, um, but um, it's been a real journey the last 10 years to put this guild together. And, and you know, uh, you know, I also teach music supervision at American University in D.C. And uh, it's been a real blessing to do that. Um, but, you know, it's really all aspects of music. You work with a composer, you work with an editor, you work with a director, you work with the producer. If you're doing an on-camera where someone's singing live, you work with a choreographer, you work with the on-set sound guy, you know. Uh, you work with the AD, how are the extras going to move? You know, like, it's an all-encompassing thing, and it depends on the level of project you're on. Sometimes mm -hmm. you're just clearing music that the director loves. Sometimes you're all in the, the the pit. Like I said, you're doing on camera where people are singing the song and it's got to be done right and they have to rehearse it. And you have to go in the studio first to do what's called a pre-record. So it's very complex a lot of times mm -hmm. and sometimes not. You know, it just depends on, on where you're at. So you can go to school for that? No, there's no school for oh, it. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I was going to say, it. that sounds like a great job. There, should, you, there, should, be. Get the there should be, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's that was my good training to be able to start launching into producing movies because sometimes you'll come in as a music supervisor and co-producer because you end up doing more than just supervising. Yeah. So do you like the the record industry or the film industry more? Is there one that you like? You know, I, I was in the record industry for 20 years uh, and I was only in the film industry for four years. Mm -hmm. um, but I like them both because working in the medium of soundtracks and music supervision you basically are teetering on the edge of both. So you're always going to see screenings to see if there are soundtracks to be done. Um, so I literally like, uh, you know, I was on a, um, a class. I had the guy who was the head of Disney music for the last 20 years. And he and I realized that over the course of time on, for example, did you ever hear of a movie called Empire Records? Yes. Mm -hmm. So on Empire Records, he was the music supervisor. I gave him a label deal. Uh, on Austin Powers, I was the film studio. He was the record company. He was the only record company that would give Austin Powers a deal. Nobody wanted to fuck with that movie. Hmm. So, um, and then cut two years later, there was a movie called Step Up, which Disney had, and they really needed an urban type soundtrack because it was an urban dance movie. And I was the soundtrack label at Jive, and he was the film studio, and I gave him a hit soundtrack. So think about that path. In 20 years, we flipped roles like two or three times. Yeah, and and uh, it was kind of a blessing to you know have that conversation, re recap it. So yeah, you, anyway, I've done a lot of different roles in the industry, and now I'm supervising and making movies. Yeah. Um, and you've done so yeah, it's you've done ahead. producing. I mean, you did uh, you worked on Justin Bieber's right. Never say never. Yeah, I, I set that movie up and co-produced that movie. Yeah, wasn't that like like one of the top-selling documentary movies or something? It's the number two highest-grossing uh, music documentary of all time after Michael Jackson, I believe. Does that just blow your mind, knowing that you were involved in that? Yeah, I mean, like you know, you look back at all the shit you did, and you're like, it all adds up to some like uh, a good a good career. You know what yeah. I mean? 
And uh, you got to feel good about it. You got to take stock in it and have gratitude for it all. Unfortunately, I didn't make the money I would have liked to make on all of them. You know, be profit participants in all of them because sometimes you're an employee or and you just can't get that equity that you need yeah. to really go to that next level. So you just keep grinding. You know what I mean? You don't, you can't dwell too much on it. You just got to, you know, keep moving and uh, hopefully the next one comes along and you can, you know, profit from that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, this long live rock, I mean, it's, it's looking pretty promising. We'll see. I mean, you know, it's a small movie, but the good news is small budget. Yeah. I was going to say everything. probably small budget. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did everything in favor bank and the rock stars all played ball for their music for a low amount of money, which was beautiful. And, yeah. uh, it, but it's a real community builder. It really is like, it's a moment in time for all these people in this, in this genre. And, it was all made, like I said, making fans, making a fan, a movie about the fans, mm -hmm. and uh, the rock stars all bought into it. So that's beautiful. Why? So, why yeah, why I'm, was the focus on festivals? It just that was the microcosm of civilization. How they all come together, and how these fans they go to shows all year, right? But but like if you're in Wheeling, West Virginia, where my Jesse Crowdsurf and Fishing Girl was, and you're the correction officer in uh, green of Kentucky and you're the architect in Cincinnati. The best thing is you triangulate and you go to a festival that's between all of you. Mm -hmm. So that's Columbus, Ohio or Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so they just happen to be those regional festivals that these people could meet up at and they formed a bond based on these festivals popping up. Now remember hard rock, there used to be no hard rock festivals in America. They were all in Europe, right? There was Monsters of Rock. There was a bunch in Germany and other places. But America was all about, you know, you had your Bonnaroo's, you had your Coachella's, you had your outside lands, more alternative leaning. But hard rock until this Danny Women Presents came along and started making these festivals. Um, they found that niche in places like Carolina, Florida, columbus ohio sacramento right. california louisville kentucky you know they play the secondary markets where p the real people live who like to rock not the posers that go to coachella or whatever right and so by doing that it formed an ecosystem of people who all want to rock all want to meet up and hang out and party and so that's we tapped into that zeitgeist yeah i remember uh I went, when i was a kid i went and saw monsters of rock that oh, was with, yeah, that was with uh who's on that? Kingdom Come, Metallica, Scorpions, Van Halen. Sure, Scorpions were Scorpions were big every year in that. Dokken. I think Dokken was on that bill. Remember that show? Uh yeah, those are big those are big fucking shows. <laughs> but that that was my first festival experience. And then of course later on, you know, we went to some of the Ozfests and uh I I was in a band. We played a couple of the Vans Warp Tour festivals and Oh, that must have yeah. been cool. Yeah, I mean, it's just a few dates, but yeah, it was fun times. Great times. And the crowds are just, the crowds are crazy at those festivals. And that's what's, yeah. uh, that's f so fun. That's why I saw a lot in that, in the trailer. I'm looking forward to checking that out. So you have the premiere coming for this uh, Thursday. Thursday, the 11th. A week, a week right? from right now. A week from right now, it'll all be taking place. Now, people can go and get their tickets. I believe they're about 10 bucks. Nine ninety nine. Yeah, nine ninety nine for the premiere, and then the next day it'll go on to what's called virtual at home cinema, where you can go through a number of rock band sites like Five Finger Death Punch or 
uh, Hailstorm or many radio stations all across the country that play this music. Or you can go through a number of different movie theaters. Remember those? Uh, where you can support <laughs> right. support them because they've gotten the shit kicked out of them harder than almost anybody yeah. uh, for a year. So there's a number of ways to support, whether you want to support your favorite band, whether you want to support uh, a movie theater um, or a radio station that you love. And this way, it's all about the fans. Like they can figure out where they want to contribute, you know, contribute their money to, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, is L.A. still locked down? Um, outdoor dining is open um, for a number. Yeah, most places, I think. And, um, you know, I just got to notice that softball is coming back. Um, so it's relative. There's no in 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 theater, um, in-house, in restaurant dining there's none of that okay um okay. everything's either outdoors or takeout um so lockdown's a relative term uh in that in that sense you know yeah see we we just opened up over here so we're bars are back open oh, till yeah till two o'clock or everything's back open. wow like so normal. bars are open yeah not here yeah yeah we're, we're gonna be the last to kind of do that yeah shit, you guys got it rough out there yeah um, but look, I'm scared. I don't want to go in any bars. I don't want to go in any restaurants. I don't, you know, it's just too close contact with people right now is not a good look. People yeah. still getting sick, you know. I was just sick last week. I was sick for You got two, it last week? Two weeks I had it. Fuck, how'd you get it? Uh, my kid, actually. A neighbor down wow. the, my neighbor down the road, his, uh, the friend, his father got it. And we did not know that. So my kid was over there playing and then mm. brought it home. It's that easy, right? It's yep. that, that easy to pass it along. Yep, and it, it had me down for two weeks, I'll tell you. It was not fun. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. I'm staying <laughs> away from everybody right now. Just, you know. So do you think once if everything gets under control that um, you would do a limited release, theater release? Uh, I don't think so. I think the window is now, mm-hmm. and um, I think that we didn't get that window, and the virtual theater release is where it's at. Um, and I think that that's it for the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we missed, we missed that window, which is sad, but uh, like I said, it's all, it's coming out for all the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so, so you were saying that after the premiere, people can go to all these other different sites. Now, will that be available for a long time going forward? Yeah, so that'll run for like a month or so. And then the figure out the next platform, whether it's iTunes, Amazon, one of those, um, platforms will come next we're just taking offers right now and the more the more press more media we get the more you, somewhat of size will come and go boy we should put that movie on our, yeah, on our platform yeah, yeah. you know how it works yeah yeah okay so um you also yeah, have your uh you mentioned it earlier uh cosplay universe yeah that's coming out this summer just working on that next as soon as i get through this cloud i gotta jump into that one yeah, what, um, what is that? Film. What's that one? That's about, you know, it's another subculture. I don't know if you've ever seen what Comic-Cons are. but I have. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they um, the passion of those fans of, of the genre, you know, people that dress up all year long. And we, we realized is, you know, much like they can be viewed as freaks like hard rock fans, right, by the mainstream world, you know, those freaks have now taken over in the sense that, like, if you're a studio or TV show and you're going to launch anything sci-fi, horror, superhero you better get those people's approval like they will hate on you if you don't so you really see those films and and tv shows being taken by the marketers at those uh studios into the comic cons of the world and that means they've reached a main an interesting mainstream level 
So here we have another subculture film like the hard rock. Uh, you know, I made these two back to back because I was into the subcultures, you know, and what they are. And it's fascinating. And so, you know, we follow a couple people who during the course of the film decide that they're going to transition. They start out wearing, you know, girl wearing boy costumes, you know, like dressing up as Spider-Man mm-hmm. or or boys dressing up as Alice in Wonderland. And they realize, <laughs> you know what, this is kind of like more me. So right. maybe trans, you know, transgender is in my future. Huh. Um, and it's fascinating, you know, like um, I, and I, there's a lot of parallels to it. It's like, you know, people are confused sexually sometimes. And sometimes they, to use something like this as a try on uh, is, is therapeutic and much like sure. this head, this head banging can be therapeutic for people. Um, so it's kind of interesting the parallel that they're back to back, and they're of course coming out around not around the same time, but they're coming close to each other because it's time to get them both out and keep moving and make more movies. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's funny how I ended up with both of these films back to back. Just yeah. weird. How was, it, it wasn't planned. It just happened that way. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that was the first film, but that had two bankruptcies. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, who knew? Now. Bankruptcies that that happens a lot when you're making these kind of things. Not really, but it no, just happened it just to happened me. <laughs> I mean, the independent film business is not a great business, so yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it just happened to me. I don't know about everybody else, but yeah, it's been painful. Now back to your long live rock. Um, you know, you also get into some of the darker areas of the genre. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't planned. That was interesting. I mean, how did that come about? Well, the night before we were shooting our first shoot, um, Chris Cornell killed himself in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So much mm-hmm. so, his band was already in Columbus, and they. Um, the, so we found out it's like six o'clock in the morning, and then Gary had to scramble to try to figure out what he was going to do to fill that slot and how to deal with it all. And we we couldn't really open each conversation with Lars and you know these these rock stars with hey man isn't rock and roll great yeah it was like oh my god Chris Cornell man t- talk about him you know uh. did you have a relationship with him what you know so we had all this footage that we shot with these rock stars about their relationship with Chris and um, we didn't plan on using it um, we basically you know we're trying to make this upbeat fun-filled film and so cut to the edit room we get to the edit room we're you know we're doing more stuff and we think who haven't we had well we haven't had uh anybody from lincoln park so why don't we try to get chester so as soon as like we're working on that aspect he kills himself and then i'm like okay this is too close here we have to we have to do something you know um so that's how we ended up um, with this segment of, of about the drugs and alcohol and addiction, which actually is not even in the trailer. We cut that from the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, um, yeah, so it's, you know, that kind of shit just happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is that when you approached the, um, the different rock stars in the film to about talking about that, is that something they were acceptive of? Well, again, as an icebreaker or as you can't just jump into something without covering it, let's put it that way, uh-huh. you know? Um, so uh, it was on everybody's mind. Of course, everybody wanted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had to address it in that conversation. And then we built on it further in the film, as you'll see. 
So, hmm. yeah, it was uh, painful, but, you know, guys like Dr. Drew and um, Harold from Music Cares, Grammy's uh, counselor, and, um, you know, they really anchor the whole, whole uh, segment about this, you know. Yeah. And one of the party crews, you know, um, uh, one of the wives from the party crew, you know, she lost two brothers and her mother from opioid addiction. Oh, man. So in 2017, 18, it was hitting hard in the Midwest, you know. Mm-hmm. The, Oxy, the Oxycontin thing was on fire. And people are dying all over the place. Mm. So we had to address it, you know? Yeah. Just one of those things. Oh, yeah. Now, also in the film, in the trailer, you talk about the wall of death. Yeah. Wall of death (laughs) is fun. You know, the first time I saw that was when we were doing the Vans Warped Tour and Rise Against was playing. And they had, Rise Against is a big fan of that shit. Yeah. Yeah, They they split the crowd and then, you know, gave them the instructions of what to do. And then just to see those two sides come together like that was like holy shit right uh yeah it's pretty powerful shit the visuals of it are stunning and so in the movie um you know jacoby first heard of it from papa roach it was you know he heard about it in europe where it was it was called the braveheart and ah. because like in braveheart you know in the old school war they ran at each other yeah, with their swords, swords ablazing <laughs> and so we basically took some uh braveheart footage um, and cut it in with um, the wall of death, and it's stunning. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. banging. Uh, yeah, that's that's nuts. That's that's. I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't partake in that. Yeah, that was too much for old people. <laughs> All right, Jonathan. Well, listen, man. Um, this is coming out on the eleventh, a week from this episode. Um, okay, so you'll drop it then. No, well, no. This this is coming out now. As soon as we're done. Oh, is that where you put it right up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'll be up by okay. in the morning time. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay, cool. So you'll send me a link? I'll send you a link. Um, awesome. You can share it. Um, where can people go get their ticket? Oh, it's longliverockmovie.com. Um, just go, uh, when you get to longliverockmovie.com, just go to watch, and all the information is there about the next step. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, I'll put a link to that also in the uh, podcast notes so people can. That's great. Listeners can just go there and click on it. Beautiful. All right, Joel. Great talking to you, man. All right, man. I'm glad you beat the COVID. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thanks. All Uh, right, bro. Be good. All right, we'll talk. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye. That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.